for listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. Thank you for joining us here on the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Angel. And on the other end of the line, I have my co-host, Nick View, standing by to get started. So let's jump right in. How's it going, Nick? It's going pretty good, Steve. How are you doing? Oh, it's been a pretty challenging week. I'll be honest. I've <laughs> I've been, uh, so I've got a, a hunt coming up uh, starting this weekend. And as it uh, usually happens, I've just had string orders coming in left and right. So I've been... Uh, twisting up quite a few strings and and staying busy at work and working on the website just all kinds of stuff going on how about you yeah my my week's pretty much sucked i'm just trying not to get sick that's that's what's going on here as uh as kenzie would say (laughs) people in school have the influenza so (laughs) we got like we got like an outbreak going on around here and uh, I'm hoping that that doesn't hit me. My boss and her family are all sick right now. Um, flu type A. So I'm hoping that I don't get it. But other than that. And your you know, kids are right at that age is th- that once one one kid gets it, it's like all of them come down with it. Yeah, school's a cesspool of germs, dude. <laughs> it's, it's terrible. You know that. But having two is like double trouble. Um but anyway, yeah, other than that, man, you know, things have been, things have been going pretty good. And, uh, I actually, uh, I took the kids out for a, uh, a scouting trip for the first time and, uh, did that, uh, did that a week ago. And that was a lot of fun. And, uh, that'll, that'll lead in, that'll lead in nicely to our topic today. Yes, it will. So I guess let's just go ahead and jump right in. Um, it, it obviously is one of your favorite topics because you kind of led into it, but we're going to talk a little bit about hunting public land, um, why we do it, maybe some approaches and some tactics, and and we'll just see kind of where it goes from there. So I guess let's to just start us off, Nick, you know, what really got you started um, hunting public land and, and really why have you stuck with it? Uh, necessity, I guess. <laughs> that would be a good well, reason. That's, that's what started it. Um, when I got started, I didn't, I, I think I spent my first week up North on, uh, on family land in Sheboygan. Um, but when I came back down to Grand Rapids, I really didn't have any idea what to do. Um, I didn't know anything about public land or, you know, my dad had said something about, well, you can hunt on public land. Uh, I'm like, I don't know where any public land is. Like at the time I lived in the city, um, I didn't, I didn't know any public land and I didn't know anything about really being in the woods or scouting or anything. Um, so what I ended up doing is, um, I, I hung out at the range a lot and talked to some people and they kind of put me on some public land and, uh, a couple different, a couple different tracks. And, uh, after I did that, um, you know, I started exploring, uh, going out and, and looking at, looking at some land and, and kind of found a spot I liked and, and a spot or two I could call home. And that didn't seem like it had too much foot traffic on it. And, I, I went after it after that and I just, I got a little more, it was really, really weird at first. I got a little more comfortable. Um, but I really started to enjoy it or enjoy it once I started figuring everything out. And I really, what kept me what has kept me doing it is still the fact that I don't have any land, but, um, I really enjoy kind of the, I really enjoy the challenge of it. Um, 
I think I think that's what's keeping me going back at this point, rather than buying into a lease or finding people to do that or or you know starting that whole business, um, trying to ask farmers to permission to hunt their land and stuff. I I know a couple people, but I I, I really just keep coming back to public, and uh, yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at. But it's been it's been mainly necessity. Um, I'm thankful we have land here and I have a lot around me. I have three different tracks that aren't very far away. I'm talking like within 10 miles and another, um, you know, 20 or so miles away in Yankee Springs, uh, near Kalamazoo area. So it's all around me and I'm thankful for that. But, and, and I know the, obviously I know the Yankee Springs one very well. I've, I've, I've hunted there a couple of times with you myself. Um, and my, mm-hmm. my, my story is not really that much different. So, um, I guess it's, it, it, it starts a little bit different. You know, I grew up, uh, uh on a tobacco farm. So I had, um, uh, probably, probably somewhere in the 1500 acres or, or more, uh, private land that, that I grew up hunting. And, and it was just part of the, you know, that was part of the land that we either owned or, or leased for the crops. Um, and I had never, I had never even set foot on public land to until uh, I moved to to Georgia, which was in '98. And at the time, it was the same thing. It was it was necessity. Uh, I I didn't have a lot of money at the time, so I really couldn't afford it. Um, and I got to looking around, and it was uh, as you've and you've hunted here as well, so you kind of know. But I don't have mm-hmm. I don't have any within ten minutes, but with a thirty minute drive in several different directions. Um, it's something probably approaching a hundred thousand acres without even, without even considering the, uh, national forest land. That's just wildlife management areas. So, you know, we have a, we have a, a lot of public land here in Georgia. Um, and it's, it's structured a little bit differently than, than the public land that I've, I've seen, uh, hunting, hunting in Michigan, meaning, um, the land I've hunted with you in Michigan, and I don't know that it's all that way, but it's it's you have to really stay on your toes to make sure that you're not trespassing because it's broken up so oddly. It's like you know you could be you could be surrounded on all corners by public land and and take one step and actually be in a private in a private area. Yeah, I, that was the first thing I noticed when I hunted with you in Georgia, and I've had some pretty funny stories about this. Uh, but well, one of the one things I wanted to mention was. Uh, I thought it was funny and, um, you know, just to let our listeners know what's been going on, I really wanted to, uh, I want to get better at scouting and I want to put more time in and I've kind of looked up to you in that way. Um, I've always kind of just walked out in the woods, found a nice spot and kind of looked for sign and look for, look for, you know, food sources or cover or whatever. And, and that's kind of how I've done it. Um, and you're a lot more scientific than that. We'll get to that in a little bit. But um, we started sharing topo maps, and uh, I gave you that topo map of one of the areas I wanted to go visit. And I said, okay, well, here you go. And then you started, like, asking me to check out all this stuff. And I looked up the coordinates, and I was like, yeah, that's some dude's backyard. That's his dog pen there. And then there's <laughs> this over here, and that's a road. And <laughs> that's a driveway. And uh, it wasn't all on the map, obviously, because those maps aren't always updated. Um, but it was pretty funny that, you know, you're exactly right. The boundaries of those places, everywhere I hunt, they're property locked. 
it's not like acres and acres and acres of woods like you guys have there. It's like you are, if you take a wrong turn, you're in somebody's yard. I mean, like you'll see their tree stand or something, or you'll run straight into a swing set or, you know I mean? It, right. it, it's sometimes it's that ridiculous. Um, and I've taken wrong turns and ended up near people's houses and it's really odd. Um, so it's it's something I've had to pay attention to because those signs aren't always in good condition. Those no trespassing signs, signs you don't even see them. And I've had to double check my property line several times uh, while hunting. But there's there's some places I hunt where, I mean, over Christmas time, I was walking out and on one particular track I like. And um, I could see like all at, at once at at dark, all the Christmas lights came on on the ridge next to me. And I could just see the whole woods was illuminated, dude. It felt like I was walking through like a, a Christmas tree farm. I mean, it, <laughs> it was pretty funny, and I it it feels weird, but yeah, it's the way it is here. I've kind of gotten used to it, and and you know, I was really scared about that when I first started. I didn't want to run into people. I was petrified of accidentally trespassing, um, and I I had no idea what I was doing. It was really intimidating at first. Uh, when I went out to Georgia with you, it was like, yeah, you could walk for miles and not see a soul. But the, and and that is true. It's um, we we typically have, and we have a few WMAs um, that that are are smaller tracks. Usually those are archery only, uh, but most of them, yeah, they they spread out pretty good. Um, <laughs> but you can still have those those interesting and. Um, I don't know, depending on how you look at it, it can be an embarrassing moment or it can just be a moment of frustration. I had, um, several years ago, it was on a, a WMA that's fairly close to the house here that you've not hunted on, but, um, I did what I did with you. I, I looked at some topo maps and, and figured out, you know, just based on the terrain, what looked like to be a decent funnel. And, um, I went in one afternoon, the afternoon before, um, a season open. I don't even remember what season it was, but it was a. It wasn't an archery season. It was one of the what they call a managed hunt. And uh, drove in, found a, a looked for some sign, found some really good sign, and and uh, marked a marked a tree and left and went back. You know, early the next morning. So the next morning, I'm slipping in real early, well before uh, daylight, and you know get back in the woods, hang my stand. I go up, you know, climb up the tree and I get settled in. And about 30 minutes before daylight, <laughs> my, my arrow, my arrow became uh, very apparent because I started hearing gravel uh, popping and it sounded, I said, you know, it sounds like they're, they're right behind me. And if I had just gone another 70 yards, I would have seen that there was another road that didn't show up on the on the topo maps like right behind me and it just was basically a comedy of errors there were cars going in and out all morning (laughs) (laughs) i think i probably ended up seeing i don't know 50 cars not not one deer (laughs) the the whole morning but um i had uh that's pretty funny i i had interesting I I have a little bit different reason for it, but I had an interesting experience um, my first season too, um, where okay, so I was afraid of getting lost. I mean, I'm not that great, and I'm getting better. Uh, I'm usually better on my own, just because I have to depend on myself and pay attention and and stuff like that. But 
um, before I had a, like a, a topo app or anything or really worked with a compass that much or, you know, I, I pretty much parked, walked in within 50 yards of my car and then made a blind like right off the trail. And um, funny thing is, is I'd see deer that way because most people didn't hunt there because it was stupid, you know. <laughs> so there'd be people would go way, way far back and uh, I'd stay right up close and I'd see deer and turkeys and all kinds of stuff. But I, I would have people walk by me like right next to me, you know, to get on the trail. And I used to, to get on the trail and head out to where they were going to hunt, you know, further back in. Because there was only like one or two places to park unless you're parking on the side street uh, on the side of the road. And, and that wasn't so good in this area. There's too many hills and you could get your car hit pretty good. Um, so... They'd come in and I'd see cyclists and all kinds of stuff like that. I remember getting really, really mad about it. And then I was like, well, you're sitting right in the middle of a trail to get out onto the public land right by the parking lot. Like, what do you expect? <laughs> so I I had to get a little bit more courageous and get back there and, you know, get further back into the woods and, and get a little braver. And over the years, I got braver and didn't worry about it. And one of the things I learned was that, well, obviously, like, keep walking, I'm going to hit a road. It's not like we're in some kind of major acreage or anything like that. Um, but I've had some interesting encounters, encounters with people, that's for sure. Dog walkers, cyclists, all kinds of different things. Uh you know, and that's been, it's been pretty comical too. So one thing you were saying is, um, and I, I want to come back to one point, uh, about me sending you to find, uh, people's dog houses and, and, uh, fence rows and driveways and so forth. But, um, you said that, you know, you, you really haven't spent a lot of time in the off season scouting, um, in the past, but so when you first, when you first started, um, hunting public land did you just kind of pick a pick a track of land and walk till you found a place that looked good and and sit down is that i mean was that your approach basically basically that's what i did i in fact i do that a lot still um i i always kind of like the romance of it like the, the i like the mystery um you know and i've learned that there's a little more to it than that if you want to be successful especially hunting on the ground like i do um I haven't really ever messed with bringing stands in a route or anything like that. So I would stump shoot. I mean, that's one of the, I would do that. Um, I would, I would start out in the summer, um, actually in the winter months too, and kind of see where all the deer were going, were, were hanging out in the area. Um, I'd find oak trees, you know, things like that. Um, if I found like hot like people leaving stands and stuff up or heavy signs of activity or tape everywhere i'd kind of avoid that area um i didn't the biggest thing is i was trying to avoid people back then um i didn't want a confrontation i didn't want somebody messing up my hunt um i I just didn't want to see people um but a lot of stump shooting um i just really enjoy stump shooting so i go out and stump and i'd find like scrapes and i'd find you know, good food sources and, and I'd look for cover nearby. And and when Michigan, there's always usually, um, the places I hunt are, are a lot of timber ridges and stuff like that with little clearings. So I would look for things like that. And I had pretty good instincts. Um, I, you know, to my credit, I, I, you know, killed a couple deer that way. And I, I've missed a lot of deer that way. And I've had deer as close to me as six yards that way. Um, you know, some, you know, but, but instincts can only get you so far. Uh, and that's what I've learned. And 
so my approach is going to be a lot different this year. Um, I, I still plan on doing a lot of scouting or a lot of stumping and things of that nature. And, but I want to, I'm really starting to get more into the maps and, and finding good places. I'm going to, I'm going to try some tree stand hunting this year. Um, you and I, I have talked to the, about that quite a bit. Um, because there's just certain, there's just too many areas in, in Michigan where you really need to be elevated to see what's happening. Um, there's just too many ridges and things like that, that you can't see over or you can't see around. And I know I've had deer really close to me that I just could not see cause I could hear them. Um, and so I'm changing some things up, but yeah, that's, that's kind of my, my, that was my approach to it. At first I'd walk in man and I would, I'd find a good spot close to some sign or a well-traveled game trail. And I probably hunt corridors and funnels more than anything else. Um, cause that's just easier to spot than trying to, you know, locate food and, and all that stuff. Like, I mean, I guess that's debatable, but I'm, I, it's better for me because back then I didn't know a lot about what deer ate or anything. So it was easier for me to just find funnels and pinch points and saddles and fingers and stuff of that nature where I could just kind of sit back and say, I know deer are here. I see sign and I see, I see tracks so I can at least hunt that, you know? Right. Um, and I guess, you know, if, if we talked about this quite a bit back in, uh, well, I guess back in November and then right after November, um, when when I came up there to hunt, you know, I hunted up there last year and just I went in kind of completely blind and did see some deer last year. Um, I probably got too hung up on one spot that I was, you know, just really, really excited about. And I should have I should have branched out a little bit more. But, you know, this year uh, I actually spent a lot of time looking at at topo maps and Google Earth and even had uh, ask you and, and John Buchin um, some questions about certain spots just to make sure, you know, is this within the boundary? Is it not within the boundary? Um, it looks like there's a, a, an agricultural field there. What's, you know, what's going on there, those kind of things. But, you know, I went in this year and had, you know, a handful of spots picked out and, you know, t- uh, and Tom hunted with me, Tom Jurgensen hunted with me quite a bit, which, um, anyway, wished we'd have done that a little bit better, but, uh, you know, Tom and I, I think we saw, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I know we saw somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, 11, 12 deer and, and several bucks over the course of really was what was two days was all we got to hunt because of the the rain. Um, so, you know, I have a, so I, li- I like boots on the ground, definitely like boots on the ground. But I will mm-hmm. tell you, you know, I've gotten to where a lot of times, um, when you're talking about funnels and pitch point pinch points, looking at something through the naked eye, in my opinion, sometimes will give you um, false indications. I guess is the best way to look at it. it. Might you might look at it and think that it would be a good funnel, but in actuality, it's not as good as you think because your perspective is so narrow when you're standing mm-hmm. there looking at something. But when you can when you can step back, and this is one of the reasons I really like using the topo maps, especially looking at the topo maps, you can not only see terrain features that should steer the animals, but you can also identify, especially bucks, you can identify the areas where bucks are most likely to travel, even outside of those pinch points. And we've talked about that a little bit with the contour lines and so forth and identifying mm-hmm. where a where a shelf would be on a on a, uh, the side of a ridge. And for you guys, what I found interesting, you know, here, 
uh, it's a lot of it, we're in a I'm in a, a hilly area, kind of a, almost really it's mountains, but it's not it's not like Rocky Mountains, and it's not like the tallest peaks of the Appalachians, but it's some it's some pretty mm-hmm. steep grades. Yeah, um, it's, it's pretty steep there for sure. But what I've seen in Michigan is just the opposite, and in fact, it took me a little bit of time looking at it on a map because it it didn't really register what I was looking at as much until I actually was on the ground. And you guys have a lot of depressions and and these these huge deep bowls that just appear out of nowhere. Um, mm-hmm. And if you can identify those, the, the, the dynamite spots are where, and that was what um, I was hunting most of the time when I was there in November is these, these little fingers that are between those two bowls and, and the deer will walk the tops are just right off the side of those, those it's a, it's not even a ridge, but it kind of creates a ridge because of the bowls on each side. Um, mm-hmm. and rather than go down into that, a lot of times, you know, the, the deer walk the, the either the top or the, with the bucks, they walk right off the, uh, one side of that, usually on the, the leeward side where the, the, the wind is suiting them. But, you know, we saw, it was almost like it was, you could, we had scripted it. We almost, you know, I almost knew where I was going to see the deer coming from. And even that last day, um, you know, I sat there and, and set my stand up. So I was looking in one specific direction. And I think that day I saw like five, five deer, four or three were bucks. And they all came from exactly the same, the same place. And I'd never, I'd never even set foot in there. Um, I got down and looked <laughs> at it afterwards, but I'd never set foot in there. So, you know, it, it's funny you mentioned that because, uh, I hunt a lot. That's exactly right. And I'm not very good at describing terrain, uh, when I'm talking to people, but I hunt a lot of bulls. Um, and just depending on the wind, um, and you know, hopefully I know where there's a bedding area or, or a food source or something, or if they're coming and going, um, and what, what kind of, what little, you know, draws and stuff they're taking out of those bowls. Um, but when I, when I was first starting, I thought that I thought, I thought they walked right through the middle of those bowls cause it's easy. I was like, oh yeah, they're just going to walk through those bowls. I'm just going to set up on the bottom of this bowl or I do the opposite and set them on the top of the ridge where I'd be too far away from anything and I'd see deer, but not ever be able to shoot them. So, you know, and I would, I'd, I'd pick like really just bad spots to be in. Um, just not really understanding. I, I would hunt, the, if it makes sense, I would hunt the bull, but not know what was around the bull. Like, and sometimes if that's private land, like I wouldn't even bother paying attention to it. You know, well, but that's that's wrong in Michigan too yeah. because I mean people feed deer, deer hang out on in people's yards, go to feeders like bird feeders and stuff like you know I mean if people are dumping stuff or compost piles or whatever or gardens little gardens I mean like that matters um, because I mean I I got really screwed up one year because I was hunting. I kept seeing deer at the, at, like I said, right up at the front by the parking lot. And what I didn't realize was that the guy across the street had a deer feeder and they were walking across. That's why they were, there was young bucks that were feeding over on that feeder. Um, and, uh, then bedding in the, and next to it. And then they'd come into, they'd come in during the rut. They would come across the street and they would, um, kind of just travel through where I was, you know, early in the morning or to go back to bed or whatever they were doing. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's you're right about 
I mean, it, it, it's nice to, it's easy to get confused that there might be, that you might be in a good area and you're not in a good area. Well, and especially, um, it's funny you start talking about the bowls because especially in that situation, uh, because there's a, there's a couple of things that you have to consider there that I've found over the years. One, when you're, so, I mean, well, let me, let me back up here. So when you go down there and look inside those bowls, a lot of times you're going to see a lot of, a lot of sign. Um, especially if there's a if there's water or if there's a, a creek drainage or, or something like that because the bucks are going to spend a lot of time there, but most of it's going to be at night, and they're going to be scraping and they're going to be rubbing, and you're going to find that side, and you're going to think it's a dynamite spot, and you set up on it, but they they may visit it during the day, but the problem is even if they do, the odds are stacked against you because of scent because down in that bowl – the, the wind's going to be unpredictable. You're going to have all kinds of swirling winds, and that's going to take place because of the terrain and the wind coming over the top of those those little uh, ridges and, and rolling down in the bowls. Um, mm-hmm. You're dealing more with thermals. So if it's, if it's in, the, in the mornings, you're, you're, the ground's heating up and your, your scent's going to rise up the sides of those bowls. Now, it's going to tend to be on one side or the other because of the, the, uh, the prevailing wind or the wind for that day. But a buck coming in there is likely going to rock that that contour line up at the top, and he's going to catch your scent. You'll never you'll never see him. You'll never know he's there. And then in the evenings, the air's cooling, and what's it going to do? It's going to pull all your scent right down in the bottom of that, and it's just going to hang in the bottom of that bowl. So, you know, while you, you'll see sign, it's really tough to hunt. Um, and even in creeks and so forth uh, around here, I try to stay out of those areas unless. Um, it's either a, a real strong wind for that day. And I know that I can predict which way my sin is going to go most of the time. Um, mm-hmm. or if it's, you know, a certain weather condition, or maybe I, maybe I just happen to know that the, that a deer is using a certain, certain travel pattern and I can get in there and get set up, um, late in the afternoon or even use the, the, uh, coolness of the water to pull my scent away if it's a very still day. So there's some, there's some things you can do. But you definitely have to have a plan if you're going to hunt down in those holes. Up on top of the ridges, it's not nearly as hard but from a from a scent and a wind perspective. Oh, yeah. And the, the thing you got to understand, too, Steve, is like we're talking when I was early early on in my career, um, I didn't learn about thermals till two years in. I mean, I didn't know anything. I tell people that, oh, yeah, the, well, the wind was bad today. And I'm like, you're sitting in a bowl, you moron. I mean, like, you know, like I didn't know anything about that then. I didn't know anything about the wind swirl or wind and terrain and, and thermals or any of that. Like I literally, if the wind wasn't in my face, it was a turnaround scenario. <laughs> like, all right. I didn't, you know, but when you're talking, we were talking to people who are, are totally new. Like I was a totally new hunter. I didn't know anything about, you know, all I knew is that you keep the wind in your face. And that you try to go where where you think deer might be, you know, based on sign or whatever. And I I didn't know about any of that. So it's been I, I will say it's been frustrating. I've had a lot of dumb luck, and um, luckily I haven't you know taken that dumb luck dumb luck and turned it into and and, and let it turn me into an expert overnight uh, or anything like that because I've seen people do that and give really bad advice. Um, but I, I've been, it's been fun to learn little things from like you and from, and from people I've met. And that's the other key too. my public land approach has changed quite a bit just by hunting with other people. 
um, hunting with you, hunting with Tom. We mentioned uh, Tom Jorgensen and John Buchin. Hunting with John, I've hunted with John the last three seasons, uh, turkey and deer, and um, a lot of Yankee Springs. And uh, he's really, which is a, a bigger game area than what I'm used to hunting around here. The, the game areas here are a little bit smaller, uh, longer, um, not very, you know, not not very big at all. Uh, and he's shown me some spots and why, and I think that's important. Um, if you, if you don't know what you're doing or you don't know the area, you know, it pays to have somebody that you do know if they're willing to, to show you some spots. In fact, the, the place I, I've been hunting for years that I kind of call my little haunt is just a little private landlocked area. That's not very many acres. And, um, I was hunting one day and a guy, uh, this old guy, um, with a muzzleloader passed me. And, uh, I was sitting there, you know, and I kind of got in late. I got in at like, you know, four 30 or something like that or four o'clock. But I figured, well, you know, I can't kill anything from the couch. I guess I better get in the woods. And, uh, Jess had just gotten home from work or, or something. And I said, okay, I'm going. So I went and I sat on the top of this ridge. It was pretty ridiculous. I didn't think I'd see anything there. I had decent wind, but I really just wanted to sit in the woods. Well, this guy passed me. Um, and I thought, oh, great, here comes somebody, you know, and I watched him bob up and it was, it was during late season hunting. It was snow on the ground. It was uh, black powder time. And, uh, this guy is named, named Tom and he, uh, he came up to me and he goes, Hey, you ain't gonna see any deer up there. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, I can see any deer up there, man. I've been hunting this place for years. There's no deer here. Do you got to go back there? And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, there's like a bull back there. You ever hunted it? I'm like, no, he's like, you're not in the right area at all. He goes, come on, we'll hunt it together. And I was thankful. He took me back there and he hunted the ridge on top and he put me somewhere near the other side of the bowl and good wind. And I saw deer that night. I wasn't able to shoot any, um, but I've been hunting there ever since. And I found scrapes and, and I've had a couple chances at some nice deer. And I was very thankful for that stranger to show me a place to hunt. You know, he must've been 60, 65 years old. Um, he had no reason to show me anything, uh, but he saw I was something with a longbow. He thought it was really cool. And he was like, I'm going to show this kid where to go. And he did. And I'm, I've been hunting there ever since I haven't seen him since. Um, but it was kind of a neat little, it's like, it's like he'd been there for like 20 years and he bequeathed the spot to me. And I thought that was, that was awesome. In fact, we stayed up after dark, um, and talked about like he was telling me all these stories about when he was younger hunting there and, and, uh, you know, shooting squirrels with a, with a, with a rifle and eating them right there on the ridge over a fire and, and, and all that, man. And it was, it was really, it was a really cool experience. I'll never forget it. Um, but it's, yeah, it, I think people are important. It's really cool when you, when you run into people like that, um, you know, uh, and I think I've, I've actually written about this before, but you know, that's, that's kind of how, um, Brandon, uh, Brandon Graven, another friend of ours, that's how he and I met. Uh, he showed up at a WMA, um, McGraw Ford, you've hunted there. Um, mm-hmm. And at the time, I know when, when you hunted there, we actually could drive all the way down to uh, the river. But at that time, you had to park at the, at the highway. You couldn't, you couldn't drive. It was gated. And I'd gotten there really early and was gathering my gear. And, uh, I guess Brandon was planning on hunting in the same general area and he got out, walked up, introduced himself and, 
asked me where I was hunting and I, I told him where I was planning on going and he said, Oh, I was headed back that way too, but I want to give you some room. And I said, well, you know, there's plenty of room back there, but I said, I've got another spot. If you're, if you want to try it, I'll give you some directions. And I was, I was really trying to, to help him out because uh, he was nice enough to come up and ask. And, um, uh, I gave him directions and, and he went off and I don't guess I saw him for a couple of weeks after that, but come to find out he, he followed my directions. He climbed up, you know, in a tree in the general area. I mean, obviously I couldn't pinpoint him to a specific tree, but after it started getting daylight, he just happened to look around and, and saw a, a pile of corn on the ground. And that's highly illegal here. Um, well, it's illegal to bait here at our uh, hunt over bait, but it's, um, in some areas, areas of the state you can, but regardless, you can't do it on a WMA. So, um, he, he, he convinced himself that I had set him up and, and walked back <laughs> out and went and got my tag number and looked at the decals all over my, my, my truck. And, um, he literally left her and said, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to find out about this guy. I'm going to, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. Well, he got home and started searching on the internet and looking at these the the decals and so forth and figured out who it was and after he got to 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 reading about me uh and saw everything that i was doing online and so forth he said yeah this was a mistake so he actually came up later um a week or two later when i ran into him again and and kind of told me the story and said he was just ready to really crawl all over me until he until he actually took some time to do some research and he said you know now i'm letting you know if you think about hunting over there, that's, you know, there's somebody over there baiting. So, um, actually turned out to be, you know, a, a good meeting for both of us. Cause we've, we've done a lot of hunting and, 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 uh, our families have become good friends and he shoots, he actually converted, he was a, a compound hunter at the time and actually converted to traditional archery, uh, after that season because he just saw how much fun I was having with it. So yeah, you can have those cool stories. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna back up just a minute. Nick and go back to, I, sure. I want to cover one more thing. So you've, um, you've kind of committed to do more, uh, scouting in the off season this year to, to try to, you know, be more prepared. And I'm going to give you a, a, a little piece of advice and then I'm going to, I'm going to remind you of, of, of something that you said to me the first time you actually came here hunting or something you asked me rather, but every time you go out, um, Carry a pencil, piece of paper, or, or take notes in your phone, whatever you want to do, but carry a compass. If you don't, if you don't normally do that, even if you know the area, carry you a compass with you. Um, and every time you go out to a specific area, get the closest weather report for that area and make a note of what the, uh, the forecasted wind direction is. Um, when you get to the spot you're going to park, Take a compass bearing reading and check the wind direction and make a note of which direction the wind is blowing at your vehicle. And then as you go to each spot that you're going to hunt, do the same thing. Take, a, take your compass, get the direction the wind is blowing at that, at that spot that you're planning on hunting. And keep track of those notes. And what I can tell you is over time, you will start to see patterns of what the predicted wind is versus what's realized at both your vehicle and what's realized at the spot you're going to be hunting. Um, and it can actually become very predictable. And if you'll remember the first time you and Tom came here to hunt, I had several spots picked out for you guys. And 
before you would leave the truck, I would say, well, the, the wind's doing this here, but once you get to where I'm telling you to set up, if you'll check the wind, it'll, it'll be in your face or it'll be, you know, from left to right. So the way the animals should come, you're not going to, you're not going to have to worry about spooking them. And I don't remember if it was the first or second day, but you had checked that and you actually said, how, how, how can you predict that? And it was because I was literally keeping a log. So I, you know, I, I had committed it to memory on a lot of those really good spots that I hunted a lot that if the wind's forecasted to be this, then you can pretty much bet it's going to be blowing from this direction when you get to where you're going, going to be hunting. Yeah, it was like, I remember that. I, it was like you had like a weather boomerang or something where you were like with the wind where you were like, okay, well, I'm going to throw this up in the air and it's, you know, it's going this way, but it's going to change directions and come right back at you by the time you get there. And I was just amazed. <laughs> I was like, there's, I'm like, yeah, that's too complicated for me. And I've kind of said that for the last few years and just took a puffer bottle and just kind of followed the wind. But, you know, I, I think it's time that I learned. I'm just kind of done with that. You know, I, I, it's time, it's time I, I've wanted to become more dependent. Like when I first started doing this, I wanted to hunt with other people and have camps and stuff like that. I didn't really care where I was hunting. I was, it was more about who I was hunting with and, and all that. Well, once I started hunting with people, you know, I started getting, I I guess I kind of, I was getting dependent on them. Um, you know, whether it was you, I kind of let you take the lead or I'd let Tom take the lead. I let John take the lead or our friend Rob take the lead, Rob Jones or, or whatever. And, and I, and it just kind of naturally happened. And I was like, well, I don't really care. I'm only out here for the, for the the relationship and the experience anyway, you know, but now I kind of do because I don't want to be that guy that's dependent on other people to, for direction, and I don't want to be that guy who gets, the, I don't want to be that guy that re- needs somebody else to get a deer. Um, I don't want to just be going in there and being the one that releases the string. I, I want to, I want all that. Um, and I think that just might be my evolution uh, as a hunter or, you know, I'm just kind of like, okay, I've been at this for enough years now where it's like, I, I need to take something out of it. And I know it's going to be all the sweeter when I do get a deer and I do it myself and it's it's a place I found and, you know, it's a place that I played perfectly and I did just right and I did my homework. Um, you know, it's kind of like studying for a test. You know, if you can go in and fake it and, and get a decent grade on a test, okay. But if you really put all your time into that test and you get the best possible grades you can, you're going to feel a lot better about it. Um, or, you know, or not or not cheating off somebody else or, or something of that nature. Um that's, that's kind of the analogy that I see. And I'm hoping that, you know, this is going to be a big year for me as far as it'll be a step forward. You know, I'm not going to get everything right away and understand all these concepts right away. But, you know, I have been taking things out of the woods with me to record stuff. Um, and I always have a, you know, a pencil and paper and I always carry a compass. Um, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to become better in the woods in general so that when I do hunt out of state, and I, uh, and something happens, like if I shoot an animal and I, and I, and I want to track it cause everybody else is out hunting, you know, I'm not calling somebody to come help me or something like that. I want, I want to be able to do things myself and, uh, and I know I can do it. It's just a matter of don't be lazy and depend on somebody else. Just do it. Um, and I've always been better that way when I have to do it, I'll do it and I'm fine with it. Or if I just calm down and use logic, 
um, or really think about something, I'm fine. Um, but if there's somebody there that's like, I'm used to telling me what to do, I kind of let them do it, you know, whether it's to be polite or, um, and a lot of times that's what it is. It's, it's cause I want to be polite and I'd be like, okay, it's their hunt. They want to do this, but I'm to the point now where I want to have my own plan and I want to go and I want to go do my own thing. And when somebody says, what are you doing today? I'm going to be the one that says, I'm going to go hunt the swamp because this is perfect wind and blah, 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 blah. And I saw a buck there yesterday and I think I'm going to see him again. And you know, I, yeah, well, that's, that's where I want to be. Well, as a person who, as the host, um, takes a lot of responsibility for people actually having a good time and seeing animals. I can tell you, I would appreciate that. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I will tell you, it, it, look, I, I know I've known you long enough. I know you enjoy keeping a journal. Um, and this is really no different. It's just, you know, you're, 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 you, you can definitely write in the, the, the wildlife that you've seen, or maybe the, you know, the odd experience that you had in the, while you were out in the field, but, you know, taking down the, the, the critical pieces of information, um, takes just a few minutes longer and you'll be, you'll be surprised how much you can, you can go back and, and use that to your advantage in the future. And here's the other thing, you know, you're, you were talking about, you know, not, not relying on others. The, the best benefit of it, well, I won't say the best, um, you know, one of the big benefits, as you said, is, is it's the, the feeling of, of accomplishment, the feeling of pride that, you know, you did this on your own. It's, it's no different than, than you know, shooting, a, uh, shooting an animal with an arrow that you, mail, you made yourself or catching a fish with a fly that you tied. Um, there's, there's that pride that goes along with that. But the other big benefit is you, you then have you have the knowledge to be a, a mentor. You have the ability to pass it on. You have the ability to help somebody else that is kind of in, you know, where you were eight, nine years ago. So, and that's the really cool part. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. And, uh, I mean, and I want to be able to, you know, I write, I want, I want to be able to write about this stuff. Um, I've never been in, I've never, I've never tried to be an expert at anything in this. I've always appreciated, I've always approached it, as a beginner and you know i don't want to lose that totally um i don't i don't think anybody truly masters this um there's always something to learn but i've always written from the perspective of a beginner and i but i already wrote that book if that makes any sense like that's what life and longbows is about right it's about what i've learned and from starting from nothing from from ground zero and the next one I write, I want to be a little better. I want to take that next step. And I want this to be, a, uh, I want this to be chronological. And I want this to be like a trilogy where it's like, okay, you know, Nick was a total newbie here. Oh, he got a little bit better by the end of the book. Okay, now we're starting at a new level. Now we're getting a little bit better. I don't want to lose any of that mystery and that experience and that wonder. But there's going to be different kinds of that. Um, I'm going to see things I've never seen before just by being in the right place and, and seeing the right things and knowing what I'm seeing and I'm going to see better deer for one. Um, I think right now, you know, I've kind of cut my teeth on, on young does, uh, young bucks, you know, two years old, um, you know, and you know, I want, I want to get to the point where I'm starting to see more mature bucks and more mature does and, and you know, a better quality of deer, uh, and have those, have those chess masses matches where I know I won. It wasn't dumb luck. Like, no, I beat you. Um, 
And that's, I'm a competitive guy. I'm the same with other hunters too. I'm like, I don't want to be the one at camp that's relying on people. I want to be competitive. I want to be like, oh yeah, I went out there and got my, got this deer USOV. What were you doing? You were back at camp, <laughs> you know? So, and I know you're kind of like that too. You like you, I mean, we were, we were at hog camp last year, um, at wild things and you were, you were deer hunting every morning with the rest of us were all eating breakfast and, and, you know, kind of doing what we were doing and, and you were gone. And I was like, see, he knows what he's doing. He's going out and doing this. I could, I could do that. Like, you know, and I, and I could do that. Um, I just, I just haven't put the effort into it. And, you know, a lot of it's been time too. And, you know, I, I'm a young, I'm a young dad, you know, I got a five and a seven year old and I, I'm kind of adjusting to it. Uh, I, and you know, it, it's as they get a little bit more dependent, you know, I'll have more time to do what I need to do. Um, but you know, that's only a small part of it. The most of it is just the will to do it and the will to try and the effort. Well, so and you, I, you, a lot of times you do have to make time. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, uh, it, I'm a, I'm a very, I'm a very busy guy. I, you know, I think sometimes if I, if I pick up, you know, one more hobby, I may come home and find my, my stuff sitting on, on the, from the front porch, but well, I'm right there with you, man. <laughs> um, you know, between, you know, I'm my, my job, my, my job, you know, what pays the bills, keeps the lights on. You know, I'm, I'm typically, uh, I, I, I've never had a 40 hour week. It's usually 50 to 60 hours a week. Um, you know, the, the simple traditional thing on the side that's, that takes up quite a few hours between strings and arrows and, and writing articles and writing articles for other publications. And now we're starting this, this new website and, and the pop, the podcast. And, um, yeah, I stay busy, but when hunting season comes around, I'm going to find and make time to get in the woods. And I, I, I become very serious about it. And, you know, in things like it, at wild things, you know, I wasn't trying to offend anybody. I hope nobody took offense that I wasn't sitting around and, and, you know, hanging out for breakfast and, and socializing, in, in camp, like at, uh, um, up in Michigan, but you know, I'm there to hunt. I'll socialize at night when I can't hunt, but, uh, that's just, nah, we that's know, just the way we know the way you, we know the way you are, man. Exactly. Um, that, I'm driven. It, yeah, you are. And you spend more time. I mean, you really nerd out over this stuff. Um, that's, I mean, you'll have, you're the only guy I know that'll have a freezer full of animals and you're still at it whether you go out and intend to shoot anything or not, um, you want to be out there and you're sad when the season ends. Like I, I've always been the kind of guy that was like, Oh, I got a deer. I'm done. I don't have to go out anymore if I don't want to. And, um, you know, part of it's, yeah, like you said, making time and whatnot. And, and the other thing is, uh, when I met Jessica, uh, my wife, she, I wasn't a hunter. She wasn't used to this. I mean, I had to break. This was something that was a life-changing deal. It changed her life, too. Um, she she knows I jump in with both feet, but, I mean, I really hit this hard. And e- even even with what I'm doing now, which isn't as much as a lot of people, it certainly isn't even close to what you're doing, she thinks I spend a lot of time hunting and shooting and stuff like that. And it's funny because she made the comment to me the other day that she she's been telling me that she wants me to get into duck hunting, and I was like, "You're nuts! You think I? You don't think you see? You think I'm spending time now? That's right. You think you're you think you're getting woke up on the weekends during deer season unnecessarily now? 
you have no idea what waterfall one's about. <laughs> well, that's that's just that's just a wife thing. My wife says the same thing. You know, I spend too much time in the woods. The only difference is she's right because <laughs> I do. I spend I spend a lot of time. Um, but again, I, I I do take care of the things that matter, and I do when I'm working. I work really hard. But when I when I go out the outdoors, I'm 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 going hard hunting, fishing. It doesn't matter. Um, yep. I, so uh, before we get too deep into this, because I definitely don't want to, I don't want to wrap up on this note, but it is something I kind of wanted to just spend a little bit of time talking about. So what about, what about negatives of hunting public land? Have you, you know, have you got any, uh, horror stories to, to tell other than, you know, just what we all go through with the, the sea of orange come, come, you know, rifle season. Oh, you mean like chiggers? Uh, we can talk about chiggers. <laughs> chiggers, chiggers don't know. Uh, they don't. They don't see WMA boundaries. <laughs> no, uh, actually, that is one of the worst experiences I've had. Uh, but I think honestly that the worst public land experience I've had is uh, probably well, one of the ones is when I took my wife Jessica turkey hunting. Um, and she really wanted to go. She didn't have a bow or anything. And, and I took her out and um, we're talking early season turkeys. And I didn't have a, I didn't know anything about turkey hunting. didn't know anything about scouting. Um, and I certainly didn't know how to do it with two people, uh, especially somebody who, for lack of a better, you know, for lack of a description, isn't quiet and doesn't sit still. <laughs> so I'm like, this is just going to be something kind of fun. So... I took her out into the woods, but what I didn't realize is that my wife is the most, must be the most scrumptious thing to a mosquito that exists because she had the therm. There was a point where I had given her my thermosel and she had bug dope on, she had DEET, she had, I mean, everything you could think of. And she was absolutely eaten alive to the point where we were we were basically just running for the car at the end of the day. And um, it I she'd never been with me since. Uh, she wants to go back out, but that that was probably the worst because I think we bumped from three different spots. Uh, and it was and it was really muggy and it was really swampy and stinky and wherever we went, you know, and, and, and she was miserable. And I was like, I, this woman is never going to want to do anything in the woods with me ever again. And, uh, thankfully that's not the case. She just got a heavier bow and she wants to start turkey hunting again. And I know a lot more about it than I used to, so it'll be better. But that was one of them. Um, I haven't had any real bad, uh, interactions with people per se. Uh, I have had a lot of hunts ruined though. Um, I, I think that's just bound to happen, uh, especially here in Michigan where you got, there's a lot of people that come in and, and they don't, they don't really hunt like we do, I guess. Um, I'm not trying to say, I'm not saying that to be elitist or anything, but there's a lot of people that come in, especially during, I love to hunt the late season. And when you're into the black powder time of the year, you got a lot of people who are either running in from work and are trying to get an hour in before dark and they're just plowing through the woods as loud as they possibly could be. And, and then there's, there's people that come in at 10 a.m. and at 10 a.m. while you're hunting, you know, or 9 a.m. even at prime time, you know, in the morning. And then, and you know, they're there. I'll never forget one time I was, uh, 
I was sitting in a, I was sitting in a decent, and I thought I was, I was pretty, I was pretty well in at that point. I wasn't, I wasn't set up right near the parking lot. This was a situation where I had scouted out pretty well and I was, I was deeper and this was a couple of years ago. And, um, I had just, and I mean, there was a frost on the ground. Um, there hadn't been a lot of snow that year. So, you know, it was, there was still a lot of, a lot for the, for deer to eat. There was still a little bit of acorns left, uh, the browse left. I mean, it wasn't that bad. We're talking early, early season, right after rifle season. Um, and we were into black powder and, uh, I was sitting there and I had a great spot. It was still, you know, when I, all of a sudden I hear shuffling and I was like, Oh man, this is going to be good. You know? And I was all excited. And, uh, then I, then I knew, you know, it wasn't a deer at that point. And this guy was wearing a car, a, a blue Dickies suit with blaze orange hat. He had an end line and he was, he was rotund to say the least. Uh, he was, he was pretty, he, he looked a little rough. <laughs> well, he rolled in, he rolled in at like 10 o'clock and, uh, walked right by me. I had like a, I had that leafy suit you gave me. That's kind of like a cross between a ghillie suit and it's not quite to a ghillie suit yet, but you know, that one that's got mm-hmm. the leaves all over it. I do. And, uh, I had a great ground blind, man. I had a good situation. In fact, I had seen a deer. I had just missed a deer the day before. It was on a weekend. And um, I thought, man, I've got it. I've got it today. The wind was great. You know, it was it was still, you know, the deer were moving. Um, and this guy came rolling in, and he rolled in about seven yards. I could see his breath. He was like six, seven yards away from me. He stopped right in front of me like he knew somebody was there. He kind of gave the look around, and then he let out the most horrendous belch I have ever heard <laughs> and farted the loudest <laughs> fart I had ever heard. It echoed off trees. It, it was terrible. And, I mean, <laughs> I'm a man that could pride myself off a good fart. This was epic. But I didn't think it was all that funny at the time. <laughs> he and as soon as he did that, he scratched himself and then sauntered up the ridge where I had all the deer had been coming from. So he never knew and you were there. He never knew I was there. I I, I swear, if I just said something, I'd give him a heart attack. So and so, <laughs> so I can, I can actually relate. I had I had a similar situation, but it was actually. Uh, it was a little worse in that it, I felt like it was a little bit more dangerous. Um, I, I was actually hunting on an archery-only WMA uh, a few years ago. I was hunting on the ground in my in a hammock seat, in a natural blind. So I'm I'm literally sitting right on the ground at about you know three foot my top of my head, maybe three four foot off the ground. And I'm sitting there, and I I heard something, and I slowly turned my head to the left, and I see this person walking up a, uh, I'm going to say it, uh, an, an old logging road. <laughs> I know that's a, that's yeah, a sore you, point with Now, you. was it a real logging road or was it, was it a site? Was, was it a, a bike track? <laughs> no, it, was, <laughs> it, it was a logging road. And this one was actually more defined than the one I sent you on the wild goose chase for, but that's another story. Um, so I'm watching this guy. And then when he, I guess when he got about 30 yards from me, I realized he's carrying a, uh, an AR 15 
Which really is nothing wrong with that, except he was on an archery only WMA and I'm sitting on the ground with no, I'm in full camo. I've got no orange and I'm sitting there for a minute going, I, you know, I, I don't even know what to do because I didn't want to, last thing I want to do is wave at the guy. Right. So I talked for a minute and then I just, I did the only thing I could do. I let out a, Hey, you know, and, and got his attention and he, he, he just comes walking up. How's it going? And I, you know, I read the guy, the riot (laughs) act and you know, one, because he's, he's walking around, no orange on carrying a rifle on archery only WMA. And there I'm, I'm sitting, it scared me. Um, and after, after giving him a few choice words, I, I kind of grabbed my bow and my stuff and I stomped off to my pickup. Well, the further I walked, the more upset I got. Um, and unfortunately, Nick, you've been around me enough to know that I can, I can fly hot pretty quick sometimes. So I get, and Brandon was hunting with me that morning too. So I get back to the truck, Brandon, has walked up and I'm telling him the story. And again, and it, part of it was just because it, it, it did, it scared me. It, it, you know, this guy could have shot me thinking, and I, if I hadn't seen him and turned my head, you know? Um, so when he gets back, I, I, I chewed him out again. He still had his rifle. It was still loaded. Brandon, Brandon at this point is ready to crawl under his truck because I'm standing there with no weapon. And this guy's got a rifle and I'm just, I'm laying into him. And, Good. um, I finally told him, I said, either you unload the rifle or I'm taking it away from you and I'm going to unload it, put the rifle up. And I said, I am not going to call the DNR as long as you promise me. He was saying something like he went to Walmart and bought his license and they told him he could hunt there. And I'm like, guy, you know, he had just moved, I think from Pennsylvania. And I'm like, you, you stepped on public land without even reading the, the regulations. I mean, leave right now and go buy uh, a Georgia DNR regulations book and read it. Um, and, and, you know, I, I ended up not, not reporting him. I probably should have, he probably should have learned a harder lesson, but um, yeah, that was, that was probably the worst. Now I've, I've, I've run across, you know, the, 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 the litter bug and, and the slobs and the, uh, in fact, usually my scouting starts the day after um, the day after season ends here, which is you know mid January, and I I carry a bag with me every time I go out, and I usually haul out you know enough litter and um, flagging tape that's been left in the woods. That that probably is my biggest peeve about public land is that um, a lot of people don't practice good stewardship with the with the public land and and just leave a lot of litter that I think is unsightly. Uh, I, I will say this, and maybe it was just, you know, the time I was there, but I didn't see a lot of that in, in Michigan. I'm sure it, I'm sure it's there, but it just didn't seem like it's as, as bad there as it was here. Hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, it's probably, you know, I've had, I've ran into some, I don't think I've ever really, I've never had a confrontation with anybody. Um, I've like, uh, you know, I, I've run into some people and kind of got irritated and I've had people run into me and get irritated. And, you know, John and I stomping around last year, we ran into a couple people and I mean, you know, they, they hit us with a light, like, Hey, I'm here, that kind of thing. But I, I've never had like an altercation with anybody. Um, usually, well, in my case, usually they see that I've got a longbow in my hand. And they're always like happy about it. They're always like, Oh, that's really cool. You know, and they want to talk to me about it. 
Um, the only people I've ever had, like where I've actually wanted to punch someone have been cyclists. Um, <laughs> I've had in the well, woods cycle <laughs> cycling. No, the worst. No, they are. I, I, I hate, I hate to say it. I, I know people that cycle. I have friends that cycle. Um, but where I hunt is a well-known cycling trail and there's like part of it. They, they actually can't cycle on the track that I hunt. But there's a, there's a track that starts across the street, and then it goes down and over um, on the Heiser Lake area. I, I over in uh, Cannonsburgs where I hunt, and there's there's a, a well known off road mountain biking trail there. And uh, what they'll do is they'll park in where I park to go in to hunt, and they're not supposed to be there during hunting season. Um, and they go. They'll park there, they'll go across the road, they'll ride, they'll come back, and then they'll have, you know, two or three beers there in the parking lot and, and talk really loud. And it's the and it's the worst uh, when they, well, it's actually the worst when they can be doing it. And that, that's, that's like during turkey season, like in the spring when, right. I mean, these people will get out and they'll cycle in anything. I mean, they have fi- the fat tire bikes or whatever. And, and if we, we've had a break in the weather, when I took the girls out, there was cyclists everywhere. Um and if they had it their way, they would probably be there. Would be a cycling trail on the on the on all the all the hunting land, and they would be riding it twenty four seven whenever there's not snow. And you know, I'm all for sharing the woods, but when they're coming in and they're drinking and they're being loud and and they just don't care and they have no respect for me, when I have all the respect for them when I'm in there, I'm not you know hurting their their or you know affecting their experience or hurting their fun i'm quiet i could sit in the woods for hours and not make a sound you know meanwhile they're carrying on conversations and and in you know drinking and i don't know i don't know what it is with the beers once you get back to the truck thing but that really gets old and i i was hot one day coming out of there and they looked at me and i'm in full camo again i was wearing that leafy suit and the one guy said oh you hunting and I was like, <laughs> you know, it was a here's your Here, sign. Here's moment. your sign. <laughs> exactly. I was like, no, I was taking a walk. I like to dress up when I do it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, I they they just could not fathom that they were doing anything wrong. And I'm like, man, you guys are lucky that I mean, I you know, you could get shot. Like you shouldn't be out here doing this. And I just didn't want to have any conversations. I was just like, you know what? I'm done. I, I, and I went home. Now that's only happened to me a couple times. Most of the time when I see cyclists, um, they just, that's what they're doing. You know, they're, they're just out there. And, and sometimes I think, you know, the deer must see this all the time. So they probably don't even care. Um, it probably helps in some ways. Um, but that's really the only time I, I do have one funny story I want to tell. So I was, uh, I was at the same track one time and it was early season turkeys. And this was before I was hunting with John and I was, I was kind of off doing my own thing. And, and, um, there was a, I, I was on a really nice, a couple really nice toms and, uh, it was a ridiculous place to be. Again, it was, it was kind of right where, where you would park your car. It wasn't far off the road. Um, but there was a lot of turkeys in that area, and they and they were they were all kind of nesting and, and and whatnot during the day at some points, and there was a bunch of jakes there too, and and I mean it was it, you know and a lot of a lot of uh, several different different flocks responding to calls, and I mean this place was hot, so I'm sitting there and I set up, and I actually had a gun with me that time. Uh, it was the one time I turkey hunted with a shotgun, 
and uh, I had it all set up, and I had I had it. it, it I, I was so st- I was hunting from natural cover, and I had that leafy suit on, and I was so still. At one point, I had two hens that were were nesting within six feet of my boot, sitting on the ground, and I mean I could not move, uh, but it was the coolest thing in the world. Um, well, anyway, I was working this tom. And I got to the point where the tom kind of left a little bit and, and I was going to get, and I, and I got up and it, it, it kind of took off across the ridge, but I knew exact uh, or it took off across a ridge that I knew about. And there was a clearing on the top of that ridge and I knew that there was hens up there and I, I knew they kind of liked to hang out there because I found feathers and I found scrape and I found stuff there all the time. There was turkey signs there all the time. I knew exactly where they were going and I knew I could work the ridge, have cover the whole way. And they'd never see me or that, that, that Tom would never see me. So I went to head him off and I snaked around the ridge and, uh, I climbed the hill and I kind of did a belly crawl, a half belly crawl to get to the top of this hill. And, um, I went to, uh, of course I pulled up and I saw the turkey's head come out. As soon as I pulled up, it, it, he had reached the top of the hill and, I kind of did a swing, you know, a swing shot where I just, I kind of brought the gun up and I had to almost fire from the hip, um, you know, to shoot him. And I missed him, you know, obviously if I would have just, he kind of started taking flight and, and I just missed him. Um, well to my left, there was a guy that was on a different Ridge. Um, it was, it was kind of like on the other side of a bowl and, um, he had seen the whole thing happen. He was this. It, it, it was like some kid or something was out there with a video camera filming wildlife or birds or something. And here's this big, huge dude in this like half ghillie suit with a shotgun. I looked like a yeti, <laughs> like with a gun, you know. So I, 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 I went stalking up this hill and went and shot this bird, dude. I'd never seen somebody move so fast. This guy jumped up. He threw all of his crap in a bag and he ran out of the woods. And it was the most hilarious thing. I mean, this guy was, I mean, he wasn't in any danger. He was, he, he was like a hundred yards away. And I remember probably like, you know, 60 yards away, but like totally like in the other direction, like over by the road. I never would have shot that way because the road was over there. But I'm like, what are you doing, man? Like he had no idea, you know, what was happening that time of year um, he was just out there and then, you know, seeing me and, and, and that, and that was pretty priceless, but that was, and then, that was, and, and now the yeah. poor guy was probably so traumatized. He's never set foot in the woods again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, either that or he joined PETA and now there's a yeah. <laughs> <laughs> shotgun toting Yeti scared him out of the woods. That's yeah. Oh, funny. I probably scared that dude. I, plus I was all, I had camel paint, face paint. Because I, I saw him get up and run and I kind of get up and I looked over at him and I put my arms in the air like, what the hell are you doing out here? You know, um, but yeah, it, it was a uh, it was interesting. I don't know. I, I saw him on the way back out and he was taking pictures of my decoys. I'm like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> That's too funny. That's too funny. But yeah, man. I So I guess I've had a few stories. Um, a lot more stories with you and Tom. Uh, we're going to have to get to that another day, but. Um, yeah, I think we, yeah. uh, I think we need to probably need to, to wrap this one up. I, I still have actually a few things to, to, that I'd like for us to kind of chat about around public land though. So I think we'll, we may break this up into a, 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 a two part thing and, uh, 
but for this one, I think we've, we put a, we put a pin in this one and call it done. Um, Nick, I, I, as always, I appreciate you, appreciate you joining me and, uh, enjoy talking to you. Um, but for now we're going to, we're going to sign off of this one and, uh, look forward to, to catching up with you again real soon, Nick. All right, Steve. Great. Yeah. Well, I guess that'll just about wrap up this week's episode. I would like to thank everyone for listening to the podcast. If you are listening to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or other outlet, please be sure to subscribe, and we would be thankful if you could take the time to leave us a review as well. Also, be sure to head over to the website at www.traditionaloutdoors.com and check out all the great resources and information available there. Before you leave, be sure to subscribe to the website. And that way you'll be informed of any new content and when future podcasts are released. Until the next time, get out there and enjoy our great outdoors. And if you can, take a kid along. Be safe, be responsible, and be sure to set a good example for your fellow outdoors men and women. So long, everyone.